your host, Michael Shields. Pleasure to have you back here with us once again. It isn't often I get personal on this program, not that I'm opposed to the idea, of course. The focus of what we do here just has episodically been about whoever we are lucky enough to have on as our guest, and that surely is what it is all about. But I'm guessing from the interviews and the conversations and the intros um, that you do know a good deal about me at this point, my politics, musical and cinematic taste, and beyond. One thing I believe I haven't discussed here much is that in addition to hosting this podcast and being at the helm of Across the Margins' many storytelling outlets, I also am a certified and practicing arborist. Yes, I have a deep passion working with trees wherein I've spent decades studying their wondrous ways and so with that in mind it is a joy to be dedicating this and hopefully more episodes down the road to just that the marvel of trees in this episode I'll be talking to Raymond Huber and Sandra Severnini who are behind the soon-to-be-released book Tree Beings which acts as an ode to the miraculous nature of trees and some remarkable people that have championed trees throughout the years. But leading up to that, I'd like to share a few books I love recommending that explore the unique nature and brilliance of trees. The first is The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollaben. You might have heard about this one as it made some waves upon its release. As The Hidden Life of Trees draws on groundbreaking scientific discoveries to describe how trees are like human families. Tree parents live together with their children They communicate with them and support them as they grow. Trees even act in community with each other, sharing nutrients with those trees that are sick and struggling and even warn each other about impending danger. It's an eye-opening and beautiful book, one that will impel you to never look at trees the same way again. Another book about trees that holds within it some very powerful insight into the healing power of trees is Forest Bathing by Dr. King Lee. Forest bathing is the guide to the therapeutic practice of Shinrin-yoku, or the art and science of how trees can promote health and happiness. In the book, Dr. Lee, who is widely regarded as the world's foremost expert in forest medicine, shows how forest bathing can reduce stress levels and blood pressure, strengthen your immune system, boost your mood, creativity, and concentration, and ultimately help you live longer. There is some magic in what trees can do for us. And this book explores the idea wonderfully. A book that is truly near and dear to me, and one that has sat next to my desk since I began studying forestry and environmental resource management, is A Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. This is an environmental classic, up there with the writings of Thoreau and John Muir. It features a series of astonishing musings and descriptions of a variety of different natural landscapes. It's a book that explores seasonal changes and their effects on the delicate ecological balance and ultimately touches on man's destructive interference with this balance. The Sand County Almanac is a tribute to the land and to nature and a reminder of the need to protect the natural world that gives us so, so much. What a wonderful book that is. And lastly, to lead into today's interviews, the soon-to-be-released Tree Beings by Raymond Huber and illustrated by Sandra Severnini, is a beautiful ode to trees. With an excellent foreword by renowned anthropologist Jane Goodall, Tree Beings is an adventure through the secret world of trees. It's a wonderful coffee table type book that you can pick up on a whim. 
and dive into thoughts on what makes trees so special and of accounts of scientists and explorers and activists who have done so much for trees and the book holds so much more. And we get into it all, first with my conversation with Raymond and then with Sandra, who both talked to me from their homes in New Zealand. And so let's kick it off with my conversation with Raymond Huber. taking the time today i appreciate it well thank you I'm, yeah looking forward to talking about it right yeah no the uh tree tree beings is delightful i'm glad we are here to talk about it so let's just uh let's just dig in i'd love to ask um generally about the title and um you know what are tree beings and why did you um choose this as as your title well as you can imagine being a writer the title is the most important thing <laughs> i spent the most time on that Mm-hmm. No, not really, but I do spend a lot of time on titles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Tree Beings, when I finally settled on that, I only realized afterwards it had two meanings. At first, I intended it to, to mean that, you know, trees have this this intelligence and presence um, that we kind of take for granted. And then I realized <clears throat> it also meant the people. I kind of called the people that I'd written about Tree Beings because... Yeah. You know, these were people that uh, had become in love with trees, I suppose, who had had a, I guess, a special um, life-changing encounter with trees and forests. So the title refers to the people and the trees as tree beings. Yeah, definitely a double meaning there. And I, I do love, um, I always love kind of explaining to people the characteristics of trees that, um, that show they're alive and they're not just as you talk about silent statues um anything that opens people's Mm -hmm. eyes to kind of how they're more than that and and with that in mind i um you know i love talking to people just about you know in this book there's that discovery by professor suzanne um uh smart about how trees communicate through through fungi uh attached to their roots kind of the wood wide web which is great i always talk um you know i discuss arboriculture and some of the ways in which i apply integrated pest management i just love to kind of show them this fascinating world. And I was wondering if there's anything that you feel is kind of the, you know, the, the, uh, something that, whether it's in the book or not, that people might not know about trees that might really fascinate them. And I know there's a lot of them in the book, but um, anything you want to speak on there? Yeah, well, it was uh, Suzanne, uh, Professor Suzanne Samad's work that really uh, got me quite excited about trees, as as you were saying, um, oh, yeah. this idea that, trees could communicate using fungi with a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started uh, learning about other ways they communicate uh, through electrical signals, through sending chemicals through the air. And I think, I think that was the thing that I guess surprised me mm-hmm. more than anything is that there's this whole world which actually is, is only just beginning to open up to scientists in the last decade or two. Definitely. Um, 
and it is a bit of a paradigm shift, I think, in science to see plants as intelligent um, intelligent things. But um, yeah, so it was that communication, um, the idea that they could uh, be, maybe an animal would start eating or a caterpillar would start eating a leaf and they would send out a chemical message either through their roots mm-hmm. or through the air mm-hmm. to the trees around them to notify them uh, to you know to let them know that um, the forest was under attack if you like yeah yeah so it's, like, it's just like we would call it a, like a social a social aspect mm-hmm. um to use you know, human words but uh yeah, it, the trees, it's, uh, it works. I feel like the um, the Secret Life uh, of Trees, that book kind of opened people's mind. And you're right, there's been a paradigm shift in that way. But it's it's so good. You explore so many of the um, different fascinating things, whether it's how, um, you know, you can you can find out about um, the changing climate throughout the years. They, they actually tree store data um, and the chemical messages you were talking mm-hmm. about. I love the, uh, the – there's just one, uh, you know, that you kind of – get specific on with, with apple trees, how, you know, when caterpillars are, um, you know, attacking them, they can actually send out a message that get birds, they, they speak to animals and they, they get the birds to come there and, and, you know, help them. That's so beautiful. I know that. Yeah. I love that story about the, um, like a few fruit, a few fruit trees do that. They, uh, they send out a message to the predator of the insect that's attacking the tree. And so you know we we need help to attract the predator if you like to come and uh, to come and eat the um, caterpillar. It's, yeah, and it's fantastic. It's so beautiful. So it also warmed my heart to see um, so many of the heroes within the the tree world celebrated and tree beings from Julia mm. Hill to Richard Baker and and just beyond. I was um wondering if you could speak on um some of those accomplishments or, or kind of what it meant to tell some of these stories. That it was it was great selection of people you chose it was it was wonderful oh thank you um yes i i usually began I, I wrote a book about just about trees and uh that got got rejected and i and then i started reading i'd, I'd actually been reading my way through richard st barb baker's 30 books which he wrote mm-hmm. <laughs> partly to support his tree work mm-hmm. and uh and i, I thought oh, there's so many stories here and then i remembered um jane goodall's memoir uh, which I'd read many years ago, Reason to Hope, and how inspiring that had been. And I, I started to think, well, these these are people that have they've all had this encounter with trees, and they've started to see trees as um, being vital, but also being like but like individuals. So I hunted for other stories, and they were very easy to find. Uh, some amazing stories. Um, I had to cut out a few in the end, mm-hmm. but they had to be, I guess. For me, anyway, very um, engaging, emotionally engaging stories in some way. Um, I wanted to, um, I wanted to find, in particular, when I was writing, a moment or a time in that person's life um, which I could take. And, and in the book, they appear as um, you know a little section called "Imagine You Are There on That Day When a Particular Thing Happened." And uh, those those moments. Uh, really jumped out. Mm. I guess Richard St. Bard Baker's was the one I'm um, most familiar with, and other people might not know him. Uh, but when he was five years old, he had this um, revelation, and when he was lost in a forest, mm. uh, which is quite incredible yeah. for a five year old, but it stayed with him, and, and he basically gave his life 
to um, speaking for trees because of that moment. All the way to the end of it, which was which is wild. I'd like to thank you. There's there were some I didn't um you know, I'm pretty in tune with this with the the world and there were some I didn't know and one was um Felix, um Finkbeiner. Oh, yeah. I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It's a nine year old who was um inspired to, you know, kind of uh, uh just by the whole you know, learning about climate change and you know, he's spreading the word mm. out there about climate justice. Uh, can you speak on him a little bit? I thought his story was one you know, really fantastic. Yes, um, and I think it was in about in 2006 or so when Felix was still quite young at primary school He in Germany. He had to do an assignment on, on um, climate change and he learned that trees can you know, help us by absorbing some of our CO2 and he thought, well, why aren't we planting more trees? So he started to mobilise his class first and then it spread to Germany and then it spread to the whole world, this um, movement which he and his friends called Plant for the Planet, mm-hmm. which is still going. Um, yeah, so they uh, train up ambassadors in different countries to be um, to promote tree planting mm-hmm. at a local level, mm-hmm. but also they call them um, climate justice ambassadors. So, and, uh, being aware that this, you know, that the wealthier countries um, use a lot more carbon. Mm-hmm. And so we must take more responsibility, which I think is a great aspect of, of that of Felix's movement. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I I appreciate that. I mean, it is the poor, poor people or poor countries who are paying the biggest price when it comes to this climate change. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, the whole climate justice yeah. movement, something I couldn't stand behind um, more. And so since we are talking about climate change, you're. Your book, which I believe yep. is certainly um, the most prescient, uh, pressing issue facing the planet, um, you know, it's explored in this book and it's talked about. And you know, it's it's trees are one of the mightiest assets we have in this ba- battle. And uh, I was wondering if you could explain how trees uh, do fight climate change. Well, when a tree grows, it it breathes, as I explain in the book, and it um, breathes almost the opposite to human beings in a way. Um, we breathe in oxygen, but a tree breathes in carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide from the air, and it uses that as part of its recipe for making food for itself. And then it breathes out some oxygen as a, as a almost a waste product for the tree. So this carbon dioxide which the tree takes in, it's, it's really useful for us to have some of that removed from the air because we've you know pollute, polluted the air with so much of it from our our fossil fuels. Um, but it's, it's a bit more than that. I think um, these you know, vast forests like the, the boreal forest, um, which around the top of the world there in the northern hemisphere, they uh, also cool the air and uh, you know, climate change mm-hmm. uh, where it creates warmer air through global warming, then uh, you know, that cooling effect is, is also really important. And uh, I think it hinges though on uh, planting the right trees and you know, native trees and these trees for the position and caring for them after you've planted them. It's no good just chucking, you know, a, a thousand pine trees all into the ground in one spot um, and just leaving them to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, um, you know, we had, um, I worked for the parks department here for a while and we had um, a, yep. mil- a million tree um, planting initiative and it, uh-huh. you know, just it, it was great. I, I loved the idea behind it, but I, I did to be you know pretty overt about it. Um, 
I saw too many of that. It was the number that mattered and, and the care wasn't taken yeah. care of. They would put it in the ground and, you know, we had the yeah. contractors lined up to take care of it, but it wasn't happening. And really what's the point of spending all that money and put it in the ground if you're not going to take care of it? The whole plan has to be the whole thing there. And I, I like that you just spoke to that. It's 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 not just the number. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell the story of, of one guy, Matai, um, with her green belt movement, in mm-hmm. Ken- which started in Kenya, and, you know, and a key aspect of her work in mobilising the women of Kenya was to, um, to to pay them to care for the trees, not just to plant them, but to look after them, and they were checked up on. Um, yeah, so it was providing employment as well as making sure each tree was going to make it. Yeah. It's so, so important, the aftercare. Um, it was only touched on briefly, but I just love this idea, so I want to bring it up. I love to see the term forest bathing out there. It's a Japanese term. Um, you know, I read um, Dr. Dr. King Lee's book on the subject, and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the idea of, um, you know, the therapeutic value of trees beyond just like the what they give us, you know, the, the oxygen and, and just the scientific things, just like the you know, what they can do, um, you know, for us therapeutically. Yeah, well, this is something uh, I've definitely experienced for myself. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, that um, calming um, presence of trees and, and the way it's being in a forest. Um, recently I was on, on a forest walk with, um, with my wife and it was just so beautiful. And how it, how it brought me into the present moment, you know, all the things that I've been worried about. I just couldn't think about them in the presence of this fantastic forest. But you said um, Japanese, um, I think it was a Japanese um, practice that you were talking about, forest mm-hmm. bathing, yeah. where that first started, which I think is pronounced Shinrin-yoku. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a popular exercise in Japan, which is, is really just taking a slow walk in a forest. And um, you know, there's good evidence that um, walking in a forest actually helps us helps our health and you know, when we're sick it helps us to heal faster uh, when we're stressed it, it helps to calm down all those uh, stress hormones that sort of thing um, yeah so I think um, in terms of both mindfulness and, mm-hmm. and physical health and things like that uh, you know, walking in forest or just being with a tree actually I find really helpful yeah it does not have to be a forest it could, it could be nature in even the smaller ways but yeah it reduces stress and blood pressure um you know boost energy yeah. and and I also always love to point out I mean I it, it can boost creativity a lot of times you know I, I get some of my best thinking or writing done as I'm walking through nature I think that's something I always point out um that when I'm talking about yeah. you know the the benefits and stuff of trees. There's one thing that kept coming up to, um, I had a thought that came to mind while reading that is, uh, is kind of how special beech trees are. Um, Dr. Jane, uh, Goodall mentioned a friendship with them when early on in her life and as did, uh, Richard Baker. And later in the book, it was discussed in a section entitled, um, mother trees, how in beech forest, uh, beech trees that mm. are, have made a lot of food, they share it with those who have less food and are sick. And then um, also beech trees, yeah. it, it was mentioned they have tree senses that they sense when a deer is nibbling them. And when they sense that yeah. deer saliva, they quickly create a chemical that makes their leaves taste bad. And um, I just kept thinking time and time again as I was going through your book is 
how special are beech trees? It was it was really kept coming to mind, yeah. which was fun. Yeah, no, no, I'm oh, I'm glad you picked that up actually. <laughs> and and it's strange, but my favourite trees here in New Zealand are beech trees, and mm. and even in the city where I live in Eden here, uh, there are these. Uh, I think they're called silver beeches, the different kinds um, in our botanical gardens. But absolutely magnificent trees um, any time of the year to, to walk between them. And in our forests here, we have a lot of um, native beech forests, and they are the most magical forests. Um, you know, I think um, I think other forests, of course, do those things other than beech forests. Oh, yeah, they, um, yeah. Other forests. At that um, connection, but, mm-hmm. but yes, they did come up a lot. And I think uh, it was Jane Goodall and Richard St. Bar Baker, they are both English, and beaches are a very English tree. So that may be why. Yeah, yeah. No, you see it a lot in um, myth and folklore, too. I know there's, uh, there's you know, uh, a yeah. beech tree in, the, um, in Game of Thrones. And you just, it just, do they always, they always seem to pop up. And I think it's fun because they obviously mean a lot to um, a lot of us. Um, I want to really talk about, mm. um, or I want to hear about, uh, I see that you are donating all your royalties of tree beings to the Goodall Institute for, for their kids program. It's called Roots and Shelter. What is, um, what is this program? Uh, it's Roots and Shoots. Uh, it's a program that... Oh, um, Roots and Shoots? Is that Dr. what you said? Jones, Roots and Shoots, yes. Okay, that's I apologize. Yep. And, uh, yes, they run that for young people, and it's uh, part of it is encouraging young people to plant trees. But there are a lot of... What they do is they encourage young people to come up with projects. So um, it's more than, there are environmental projects, but there are other things they do, like um, helping refugees or working with uh, endangered animals, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, yeah, I've always been inspired by um, by Jane Goodall oh, and yeah. her work. Uh, was it special yeah. in, in that, in, with that in mind, was it special to have uh, her write the foreword to this book? It was very, very special. Yeah. I bet. Quite <laughs> amazing. It was, yeah. it was beautiful um, to see. She was kind of, um, you know, she described her friendship with trees in the forest almost in the way that you think she would describe her friendship with animals. I didn't realize she had that kind of connection there. It was great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, in such a, a sense of hope too. Uh, yeah. And it's so hard to have hope in a, when you're an environmentalist, I'm sure, like, yeah, um, when you see the things happening around the world. But, and I think this is why she invests so much in working with young people. You know, she sees that hope yeah, um, alive in young people. Yeah. It's, she's so incredibly, incredibly inspiring. Um, you point out so many attributes mm-hmm. of trees in the books that are, that are just, you know, just show, show how marvelous they are. And, you know, some, some of the, you know, you see the example of even just to quantify a little bit, the example of the tallest tree being the redwood tree, uh, the biggest tree being, yep. um, general Sherman, which is in California as well. The oldest tree being the bristlecone pine, which is around 5,000 years old, yep. which is crazy. Also in California, uh, I just can't help thinking yep. in, in kind of in a heartbreaking way, just that, you know, some of these, you mm-hmm. know, natural monuments that, that have been there for so long, um, you know, kind of uh, mm. uh, under fire, literally. And just, I, I, I couldn't help thinking that when yeah. I was seeing these these special moments. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this, or any thoughts on how we could be better stewards with um, with this with this problem in mind. With the with the um, the wildfires. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure yeah. it kind of comes back to the climate change issue we were talking about as well. 
I think I think it does largely. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, there is you know forest management things I know, but um, the uh, yeah the climate change underlies a lot of those problems. Yeah, and, and yeah, I was amazed going back to what you said before about um, about these world record trees, mm-hmm. these iconic trees. How many of them were in California? I know, I know, it's <laughs> wild. Except the um, the Pando, the tree clone, you know, the clonal forest in Utah. Yep. Well, that was the other one that, that that was something that amazed me that the root system is you know it could be up to eighty thousand years old and still alive. Eighty thousand. Um, I can't even get my head around that. It's crazy. I know. Yeah, and and so that's one other thing that I learned a lot about um, reading is how important the roots are in a tree and, and how they can stay alive. Yep. Um, there's the story of Tony Ronaldo who. Um, was working in Niger in Africa, right. and uh, you know, he found the the roots of trees stayed alive even after the tops had been eaten off. And so he encouraged the farmers to let them grow, and um, as a result, you know, the, um, these trees grew back and um, improved the farmland and the soil. Yeah, as an uh, as an arborist, mm. I um, you know I meet with a lot of uh, clients, and and you know they want me to look at sick trees and give my um, perspective on it and, and let them know what's going on. And yeah. so often we walk up to the trees and the first thing they'll do is they look up, obviously. And one thing I, I <laughs> kind of always mention, I'm like, you know, it's that's, let's take our gaze downward. It's, you know, the, most of the problems or most of the solutions that I always come upon are what the plant, is, the tree is living in. It's, I mean, the, the, the pot per se that it's doing, let's, let's see what's going on down there. And, and the roots are, are just so integral and, and kind of under discussed in, in, in common tree talk. But, um, you know, when you just said 80,000 yeah. years old, that just blew my mind. And yeah. something I always think about in kind of a heady tree way is just how much kind of data or knowledge or just information is in all these older trees that can tell us so much about the natural environment. It's really wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are the oldest living things yep. on the planet. And, um, you know, there's a reason for that. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's evolved these uh, incredible ways of surviving over very long periods. You know, and it's a slower life than we're used to. Yeah. And, um, but as I say in the book, trees are slower but not lower. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways, they might even, they might even be higher than humans. <laughs> I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. With, with that in mind, with them being so old and, and, you know, kind of the, we can see kind of some of the fragility of the natural environment as per, you know, what we've been doing to it. There's a section in your book entitled, what can you do? Um, and I'm sure listeners are wondering, you know, what they can do to give back to trees. Um, and I was wondering your answer to that. Yeah. Um, well, I think everyone, this is the great thing about Trees, I guess, is that everyone can do something, and even you know the smallest, um, what you consider to be the smallest thing, planting a single tree and looking after it, mm-hmm. uh, will make a difference. Um, yeah, so planting trees, I think, is one of the best things, and then caring for that tree um, once you've planted it. Uh, I think joining uh, local tree planting groups, you mm-hmm. know, to go a step further, and just about everywhere, you'll find. Uh, these enthusiastic volunteers. Um, we just moved into a new neighbourhood, and it, um, sure enough, there was this group of 
people um, led by quite a, an older couple who've been doing it for years who had replanted, you know, the slope of um, a local hill here in, in what they call the future forest. So, but those groups are out there. Um, and I think another thing is to get active with saving forests, particularly the older uh, native forests, uh, which are still under threat. And, um, you know, they are the best trees at, at storing CO2, but mm -hmm. also that it's supporting an incredible diversity of uh, wildlife on the planet. So, yes, getting active, like um, in the book I talk about John Seed, who started his um, rainforest information Yep. Uh, organizations so cool. and they are uh, they are currently uh, fighting a legal battle to save this incredible reserve in Ecuador uh, Los Cedros Reserve which is really probably the most diverse rainforest on earth but you know the, there's mining going into that forest mm -hmm. that, that'll be just destroying it and so yeah that kind of supporting those organizations and recycling the old story you know, recycle Paper and wood products. Yeah, um, goes a long way to saving uh, saving trees as well. Yeah. And I think probably last of all, I would say is, and maybe most important is get to know a tree, get to know trees, yeah. because you know, well, um, we'll only want to save what we what we love in the end. Yeah. I think human beings put work a bit like that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, so that would be the, probably the most important first step. Yeah. Um, with that, with that in mind, um, to kind of bring it, bring it home right here. What, um, what would you hope that the takeaway um, from you know anyone of any age uh, who reads uh, Tree Beings? What, what do you hope that they walk away thinking? I hope that they'd walk away thinking as I. This is what what I took home from the whole research and writing process. I, I had, I realized that I'd just taken trees for granted, mm -hmm. and. They are so much more than I could possibly have imagined. You know, I had that machine metaphor, uh, which I've used. I think it's used on the back cover. But you know, imagine if somebody invented a machine that fights climate change and makes the air clean, gives animals a home, and grows food, and makes rain, and saves the soil, and is intelligent. You know, it's hard to imagine a machine like that. But you know, trees, trees do all of those things, and. You know, our connection to trees uh, is the other take-home. Am I allowed two take-homes? <laughs> is that idea. That, yeah. yeah, good. One for each hand. Yep. Uh, you know, John C. says, humans are like a leaf, mm -hmm. believing that um, it's separate from the tree on which it grows. Yep. And here we are, you know, kind of um, acting a bit like that. But we are. We are part of nature. We're part of the part of the tree's um, environment and closely connected to each other. Yeah, too often I come upon um, just the idea. It's kind of, you know, uh, human versus nature and look at it as kind of defeating nature. You saw it in, you know, Manifest Destiny in this country and just just too often the, the, the narrative is taking us out of nature when we're all just part of this larger ecosystem. And your book does a good job of putting us all right in there together and just kind of show the absolute wonder of trees. I really enjoyed it. And um, I really enjoyed talking Thank about you. it uh, with you here today. So I really appreciate it, Raymond. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. That was fun. Thank you again, Raymond. And now here's my brief but delightful talk 
with Sandra Semernini. Yeah, so, so you, you, you um, were, um, you're, you're the illustrator. Is that the, that's the case here, right? I am the illustrator, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, love to hear some, you know, uh, something about the illustration. I mean, kind of how you, you brought these, that art to, art to life. It's lovely. Thank you. Uh, it's just reading the stories and getting visuals on it. Each time I read part of the story, mm-hmm. um, the visual would just pop in my head. So I went with that, yeah. as with I'm sure a lot of illustrators do. So. Yep. Were you inspired by some of um, them? Lo- oh, go on, please. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Julia Butterfly Hill, who lived up the tree, was an absolute inspiration. I could imagine being up a tree for a day or two, but not two years. So, um it's quite an amazing story. Yeah, the he- the heroes in it were really, really wonderful to me. And I, I remember I was really inspired by Julia um, when I was young. I was It was one of the reasons I was I kind of steered towards, um, you know, the direction I did with trees. Um, where else can we find uh, some of your illustration? I, I, I know you've worked on other books as well. There is. I have a website, which is um, www.sevenini.com au, so that has a lot of my work on it. I did start out initially as a botanical illustrator. Okay. Um, I actually owned a botanical gallery in Melbourne, in Australia. Wow. So, um, and I supported other illustrators there. So that was where my beginnings were. But when I moved up north, up to Queensland, I followed my lifetime passion of children's books. So um, I now have four books published with mm. my illustrations in them. What, what, are, what are those? Uh, in the Shadow of an Elephant, which mm-hmm. I'm pleased to say has just been nominated for its third award. Congrats. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful story um, by Georgie Donaghy. Mm-hmm. It's about um, a li- a li- love, life and loss um, between a boy and an ele- his friend elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Where's Lucky, which is about um, a baby kangaroo, and um, that's based on true story. It's a wildlife centre in Victoria, in Melbourne, uh, in Victorian um, Australia, mm-hmm. and that just had the running daily running of a wildlife sanctuary there. So, how long have you been drawing? It's. I mean, did you? Is this something? Oh, my whole life no no it's something i've always done and strangely enough i've always doodled trees i'd be sitting there and i'd be doodling trees as a young child Mm -hmm. so um it was you know fantastic for me to get the opportunity to illustrate tree beings yeah i mean that's it sounds like most of your work is in the natural environment so you were drawn to that is there is that just something you've always definitely been drawn to or is there is is you know was there a in, in your youth, was, were you immersed in nature? Absolutely. I'd always be sitting watching ants or uh, I adore <laughs> drawing animals. It, it really is probably my favourite thing. And, and giving them a bit of character too, which they actually have. So um, now any chance I get to draw animals and any of nature. Mm-hmm. The botanical illustration is um, very, very detailed um, yeah. work. So I sort of have tried easing off a little bit of that and just adding more character to the animals, which I love. So. I, I can imagine there's no lack of inspiration when it comes to the natural uh, natural world. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, 
I, I was, how is, um, have you, have you worked with, um, Raymond before? Or is this the first time? No, no, it's the very first time. So let me ask you just kind of coming to his story. Is there a, you know, there's a lot of Marvel in there, a lot of like wild, um, things that you, that many are going to learn about trees that, that they probably hadn't before, you know, whether them speaking to each other or different ways they defend each other. It's just, it's just wild. Is there anything that comes to mind that kind of just blew you away with, um, you know, what, yes. Yeah. Yep. With Tony Ronaldo, mm -hmm. the way he discovered that, um, the farmers were cutting down the trees and making their land arid. And in, you know, the whole time the trees were still alive under the earth. So, um, He's actually managed to save over 200 million trees and they've regrown from stumps yeah. and helped a lot of the villagers um, with their farming practices. And I just found that blew my, me away because, you know, it's, when you think about it, it's actually quite logical, but nobody was aware of it until Tony had come along. It's really beautiful. He found kind of like this secret underground forest that was just ready to blossom and they kept, you know, keeping it down. And, and yeah, that was, I mean, I, I got to tell you, there was, you know, I'm, I'm, I am immersed in the science of trees and I know a lot of these heroes. There was a couple from kind of your side of the globe that um, I didn't know about. And that was one of them that really, really blew my mind. Um, um, anything else you, you want to tell us about the story or, or, or sketching for this book? It's it's just such a delightful work. I'm, I'm really glad to talk about it. Yeah. Um, look, with the each story, I try to give it its own style. Mm -hmm. um, certainly to keep being a, a younger person's book, keep it, them interested in it. Um, and just read the story and try to work through what sort of style would suit the story best. There's one, uh, Professor Susan Simard, where her, she discovered um, the wood wild web, the WWW, mm -hmm. and how the trees communicate under the ground by finding her dog in the loo, <laughs> in the toilet. <laughs> and I just found that really amusing. So I had to put an illustration of that one in. Of course. I noticed that dog in there. It's 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 amazing where we do where we do find inspiration. But um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your work. I, I'm really glad to spread the word about true beings and and the drawing, uh, the art, the art I should say in it is really really beautiful. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you all once again for taking another trip with us across the margin. Mm -hmm.